You are now listening to the Nothing But Backboard Podcast with your host, Joey Jergo. Alrighty, folks. It's your boy, Joey Jergo, and we are on episode number eight of the Nothing But Backboard Podcast. If you guys haven't already, please feel free to hit that like button, share, subscribe to this channel, hit that notification bell so you can get all the updates. Hopefully, we have some more projects coming up. I've been talking to a few of uh, good friends of mine about getting together for some Zoom calls. We have a lot of discussions, a lot of debates that we're going to be having in these upcoming episodes. And speaking of which, let me just start off this episode with a little PSA, if you will. A lot of times, and I've noticed this a lot, especially on basketball posts, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, you name it, we're supposed to be having discussions, especially in the society that we live in today. It's very healthy to have healthy conversations, healthy discussions, not arguments, because I notice a lot of times, and agree with me if you want or disagree, it's totally okay, but I've noticed a lot of times in arguments, we're trying to win the argument rather than hearing the other side of the story and trying to understand where people come from. Obviously, the one that comes to mind is LeBron versus Jordan, this, that, and the other, and we'll get to that discussion at some point later on, again, one of the projects I've talked about, but I want people to understand this especially where we are, we are expressing our opinions. Even this episode, even this podcast, I'm only expressing my opinion, what I've seen. This isn't a factual thing. This isn't a matter of fact, me telling you, oh, what I'm saying is factual. What I'm telling you is my opinion. I make predictions. That's not a fact. That's not spoilers. That's just my prediction. So I want you guys to kind of keep in mind as you guys are going on with your day. And again, this doesn't have to necessarily do with just basketball. This could be an everyday thing. I want you guys to understand this. Please, please, please use your ears as well as your mouth when you guys are having these discussions. Because a lot of times we just run our mouth and unfortunately we get caught in situations where we don't really use our ears. And then that's when things start getting heated when it doesn't need to be. So... Just start off with a little public service announcement, but we're going to talk about basketball because that's what I'm here for. So in today's episode, first off, happy Father's Day as the time of recording, June 20th. Not only is it Father's Day that we're celebrating, but also for me personally, it's my mother's birthday. So happy birthday, mom. If you're watching this, you got, you're amazing. Thank you so much for all the sacrifices. And this also just goes for the fathers as well. So if I'm saying this about my mom, I'm sure this can relate to all the fathers as well. The sacrifice that you've done for me and my siblings, being the biggest cheerleader, you've done so much for us. So really from the bottom of heart, I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done. It's... It's been a it's been a fun year to say the least, but yet you've still kept your your chin up and just kept your positivity throughout everything that's gone on and I cannot thank you enough for that. So mom, I love you. Happy birthday and again to all the fathers out there, whether you're a father, stepfather, father-in-law, as long as you are fulfilling that role and supporting your children to the best of your abilities, my shout-outs to you guys. But this is the Nothing But Backboard podcast, right? We talk about basketball, so we're going to talk about basketball. We have a lot to cover, especially over the last few weeks. There's been a lot that's gone on. Obviously, the first round of the NBA playoffs have gone on. We're wrapping up the conference semifinals with today's game, with the Game 7 in the Eastern Conference semis between Atlanta and Philadelphia. 
We'll dive into that in a little bit later, as well as today. Today is game one of the Western Conference Finals between the two-seed Phoenix Suns versus number four-seed Los Angeles Clippers. Again, I'll get into my predictions a little bit later on, but we're going to kind of go back a little bit. We're going to talk about the first round, and we'll kind of dive into a few of those teams that were eliminated in the first round. Same thing with the second round. Give you my opinion, what went wrong, all that fun stuff. So, without further ado, let's dive into the first round. So, we'll start off in the Western Conference. So, in the first, first round, the 1 versus 8 seed in the Western Conference was the Utah Jazz as the 1 seed facing the Memphis Grizzlies, who, of course, had to play two games in that play-in tournament. Again, I've kind of told you my opinion on it. Is it good for the NBA from a financial standpoint? Sure. But again, considering the fact that we had a 72-game season that was condensed, and we're trying to compact all those 72 games, add a couple more games to get a play in, and on top of that, just to keep this in mind for you guys, we do have the Olympics this upcoming summer, so that's a very, very short turnaround for some of the guys that have committed. Obviously, Damian Lillard, Draymond Green, recently Devin Booker, Jason Tatum have committed to Team USA. Expect a few more big names to commit to the Team USA roster. But really think about that for a second because we're trying to get back to the regular normal schedule of the NBA where it starts mid-October, ends in June, and we kind of get back to the normality of how the NBA season is ran. It's just going to be interesting because, of course, injuries play a big role in the playoffs. Not just this year, but you really have to look back at a lot of the previous NBA champions and a lot of the postseasons in the past. Injuries play a critical role and you'll probably hear me say this more than once throughout the entire podcast not only should your team have enough talent to win but it's also as a lot of people say the best kind of ability is availability injuries will happen it's sports you see it in football you see it in baseball you see it in hockey you see it in any kind of sports the reality is if your team is the healthiest you guys are staying intact and there's not a lot of injuries more than likely, you have the best chance to succeed. But as we're going on into the 1-8 seed, obviously we talked about Memphis playing their two playing games. Obviously, game one, Memphis shocked Utah game one with John Morant. And we'll get into a discussion about John Morant also later on in this episode. But Memphis took game one before Utah won next four. They won the series 4-1. to one. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about Memphis in a little bit, especially with John Morant. But... Again, that's a 1-8 matchup, 4-5. Obviously, this one that probably hurts me the most, as you can probably tell right here. But the 4-5 matchup between the 4-seed Clippers versus the 5-seed Dallas Mavericks. I got a lot of texts, got a lot of messages. A lot of my friends and family members um, reaching out to me about this series because, of course, one of the big topics was, of course, the lack of production from Kristaps Porzingis. But... And we'll get into that in just a second. But to give you a bit of a recap, the first six games of that series were won by the road team. So the first two games were in the Staples Center. Dallas won both games. Clippers won the next two in the American Airlines Center. So on and so forth until we got up to game seven. And then eventually the Clippers won 4-3 in that series. So everyone's going to ask me, of course, Luka had an amazing series. Kristaps, not so much. Does Kristaps Porzingis need to be traded? Is he just, you know, wasted goods, so on and so forth? For me, 
I look at it this way. If you watch the games, especially games four through seven, and even for a good handful of the first three games, if you watch how Dallas was running their offensive sets, Luka was calling pick and rolls with other guys, whether it was Kleba, Marjanovic, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., because either Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, at times Batum or Morris were guarding Porzingis. And because L.A. was electing the switch, especially early on in the series, we wanted, at least when I say we, I'm talking about from the Dallas' perspective, they wanted to get favorable matchups for Luka to go one-on-one. And if you noticed, a lot of times the floor was spaced. So there wasn't a whole lot of movement. And the reason why that, at least to me, as great as it was to see Luka have his moments, it was also frustrating because I could probably confidently say that in the playoffs, the team that moved the ball the least, especially on the offensive end, would be the Dallas Mavericks. Because you saw a lot of times in those possessions, Luka had the ball in his hands a lot, and then he would have to defer late in the shot clock for someone to force up a jumper or force up a tough look if Luka wasn't getting it off. That, to me, and I, I say this from not only as a mass fan, but also from a coaching perspective, that's not effective offense. If you're just trying to force one guy, unless this is a course we're talking about like rec league and it's a fifth grader that's just head and shoulders the best player, should be playing against seventh and eighth graders, and he's able to go one-on-one, sure, whatever. Mind your business. But we're talking about the NBA, where we're talking about hundreds of the best basketball players in the world. The best of the best playing in the NBA, and we shrink that into the playoffs, especially against a team like the Clippers. When you watch their lineup, they definitely want small, but they want more positionless basketball. When you talk about lineups that had Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Nicholas Batum. So four guys that can play along the perimeter, and they can switch every single screen. In that instance, it doesn't really make your offense that more effective when you're asking a guy like Luka. Granted, he did his thing, but you guys also notice, especially in the later games in the series, Luka would have an amazing first half, but then the second half he would kind of peter off. And sure, his stats would say, oh yeah, he still put up 37, put up 42, but some of those baskets came late when it was just, just try to get points up and we got a foul, put the Clippers on the line. Clippers aren't trying to foul, so it would just be an immediate layup. And why does that have to do with Porzingis? Well, again, kind of talking about the fact that there was not a whole lot of movement. And, of course, people are saying, oh, Porzingis isn't this. And, again, I probably hear this a lot more from the Mavs community than anything. When last year, the tune was, had we had Porzingis, we would have beat the Clippers in the bubble. Which is true. But you also notice, too, and this is just for people, if you've played basketball... If you're just kind of going up and down the floor and you're not touching the basketball at all, you're not in a rhythm. You're not. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how great of a player you are. If you're not touching the basketball, you're not really in the ebbs and flow of the offense. You're not really in the flow of the game. So, of course, Porzingis had to dedicate more of his time on the defensive end, especially when Mavs went zone. And, of course, Porzingis wasn't the defender that he has been pre-ACL injury when he was in New York or even last year with Dallas. But... He was still able to be effective in that zone, closing out on shooters. So the reason why I bring this up, because of course one of the main topics going into the offseason, of course we're going to talk about the whole 
coaching carousel, all the coaches that are moving around, being let go from their jobs or moving on. The next coach for the Mavs, whether it is the assistant coach, Jamal Mosley, which I'm hoping for, or any other coach that comes in, number one, obviously, would be, is KP going to be available for more than 50 games in the season? That's my hope. Call me optimistic. Sure. Call me naive. All right. But the fact of the matter is, Porzingis is a talented player who could be that second star beside Luka Doncic. He proved it last year. And at times, especially when Luka was out of the lineup, Porzingis was able to help carry the Mavs. So maybe it's a matter of fit. Maybe it's just the fact that whoever is the next coach for the Mavs understands and utilizes how to use both Doncic and Porzingis together. Because another thing to bring up too, especially if you guys watch the, the series, Doncic and Porzingis only played together. Doncic at times played without Porzingis on the floor, but Porzingis never played on the floor without Doncic during that series. <clears throat> a lot of times when Doncic was on the floor, it was for a few minutes, but they had lineups with like Jalen Brunson, Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, Boban, a mixture of those guys, but Porzingis was never the guy that kind of carried that second unit when Luka was off the floor. So again, call me optimistic, sure. But the fact of the matter is this. I really think with Dallas... If they fit more complimentary players alongside those two. Now, again, Hardaway Jr., I hope he comes back. We'll see. But then there's other pieces like Josh Richardson. He has a player option. Will he come back? I don't know. But that's what the, the summer and the offseason of the NBA makes it so fun, at least for me. We'll see what happens there. But, again, that was the first-round series. We'll dive into that a little bit later. Then, also, possibly the biggest story that a lot of people talk about in the playoffs was the 2-7 matchup where Phoenix beat the Lakers 4-1 to in that series. And again, I've talked about this before, and I know people are going to have their very demonstrative opinion about LeBron. He gets very demonstrative. He does, you know, accentuate calls. He flops. That's what people like calling it and all this stuff. He walked off when they were down 30 in game five. But I just... Just throwing this out there, I just want to keep you guys in mind. 18 seasons. 18 seasons. Plus, he kind of rushed back from a high ankle sprain, which he probably wasn't supposed to be playing on, and you can tell. Maybe you don't because you just want to hate on LeBron. Again, it's your opinion. I, I, I can't talk you off that cliff. Whatever. Sure. But keep this in mind. If you're not 100%, and I know people are trying to say, oh, well, Jordan would have done it. Well, Jordan never had a high ankle sprain that he had to play on throughout the series. Yeah, he had the flu game. That's different. That's an entirely different thing. And that was in the finals against Utah. But also keep this in mind, that the Lakers, why they lost that series, besides the fact that LeBron wasn't 100%, AD was out for a good part of that series, the Lakers just flat out couldn't shoot the ball. I mean, when you watch a guy, and I think I talked about it in the previous episode, when I talk about X-Factors for the series, and the X-Factor for me was Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He struggled from the three-point line. I think he shot under 30% from the three-point line in the series. And a lot of those threes that he took were quality looks. Off ball movement, off a kickout from LeBron, and he wasn't making his shots. Whereas last year in the bubble, 
when the Lakers were successful, he was knocking down those big threes, especially in the finals against Miami. Catavius Caldwell-Pope was that third guy offensively that helped spread the floor for LeBron and for AD to go to work, and he was knocking down his shots, fulfilling his role, essentially. That wasn't the case. So, if I'm the Lakers, obviously, you probably have another year, maybe two years, with that combination of LeBron, Anthony Davis. Andre Drummond potentially would be a long-term fit for the Lakers to play alongside Davis. As far as the other pieces that kind of fit around L.A., how will that look? I think it has to be pretty similar to how some of those teams in Miami and Cleveland were looking where it was 3 and D guys. Surround LeBron, surround Anthony Davis with shooters that can also play on the defensive end of the floor. And before anybody throws in the comments, well, Jordan didn't need help. Two words, Scotty Pippen. I'll stop there. But again, we'll talk about that in a future episode with other people and their opinions on what side they, they choose between LeBron, Jordan. You can throw Kobe, Kareem, Wilt, whoever. Again, it's our opinion. It's not a matter of fact. Let me just throw that out there. So, that being said, for LA, interesting offseason as far as personnel what they'll do to kind of tailor it around LeBron, around AD, and kind of retool. I don't see a whole lot of guys that are still with LA right now be a part of next year's roster. That's just a prediction. We'll see how that goes. And the final first-round matchup in the West, probably one of the more entertaining series throughout the entire first round, was the 3-6 between Denver and Portland. And the reason why I say it was one of the more entertaining ones is because superstar matchup, Obviously, the MVP of the league, Nikola Jokic. Of course, people can have their opinion. Oh, Steph should have won it. Oh, Joel should have won it. Or this, that, the other. Chris Paul, I think he should have gotten more honorable mention as well. But we have to remember, folks, and please keep this in mind, just because he got awarded the MVP in the playoffs doesn't mean it was for the playoffs. It's for the regular season. And because Jokic played the entire regular season, put up historically good numbers, especially not just for a center, but just any basketball player putting up a player efficiency rating. I've talked about in previous episodes, a player efficiency rating over 30. You have to, you have to understand how historically great Nikola Jokic's season was. But of course, on the other side of the table, you have Damian Lillard and the trailblazers. And that's going to be another topic that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But Denver won 4-2 in their series, despite Damian Lillard putting on some historically great shooting games and just going at them. Especially, I believe it was Game 5, where Damian Lillard practically didn't miss. And it got to a certain point where in Game 5, Damian Lillard came off the screen, pulled up for 3, and missed. And Austin Rivers gave like the biggest sigh of relief look on his face because Damian Lillard could not miss that game at all all and so I think with Portland and I'll kind of save a little bit more for in the in a later discussion when we talk about the whole coaching thing because they're one of the teams that were affected by a coaching change with Terry Stocks no longer being the head coach of the Trailblazers after nine seasons we'll talk a little bit more about that but one of the more highly entertaining first round games 
in the series was Portland versus Denver with, of course, Denver winning 4-2. And they moved on to face Phoenix in the semifinals. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But let's hop over to the Eastern Conference. And in the Eastern Conference, the 1-8 matchup was Philadelphia versus Washington. And again, I kind of joked with you guys about how Westbrook and Simmons, very similar style of play. But when you look at Philadelphia... They eventually won their series four to one. Was their diversity from the offensive end? Not only Simmons being able to push the tempo offensively and how he can affect both sides of the floor, but also Tobias Harris. Again, I'm I just a lot of people are going to be upset that certain guys didn't make the All Star team. Trey Young didn't make the All Star team, and he didn't make the All NBA team. And look what he's doing now. That's how ridiculously talented today's game is. You have guys that are putting on just amazing performances throughout the entire playoffs. And you have to remember, they didn't get nods for the All-Star game. They didn't get nods for the All-NBA team. And yet, here they are, just continuing to do their business and continuing to go on and do what they do to help push their team to the next level. But, obviously, the big thing that came out of that series, out of the Philadelphia-Washington series was Embiid's injury because that's kind of hampered him throughout this series right now currently against Atlanta and then obviously the last couple games against Washington. So, of course, that's going to be the big question mark coming out of it is the health and concern of Joel Embiid, how effective he has been pre-injury versus now where it's kind of, in a sense, limited him. But that series... If you're Washington, of course, throughout like the last couple seasons, everyone's had like this fanatical idea that Bradley Beal gets traded to one of the elite teams in the NBA, whether it's Golden State. Of course, people are going to be upset about that one. But LA, even Dallas, some of these other teams that are looking for that, that next star or that other star. Because again, let me just, let me just, kind of reiterate this because of course people talk about how super teams were created by LeBron which is completely inaccurate when you think about the Houston Rockets back in the mid 90s after they won their two titles Charles Barkley went with the Rockets that had already had Akeem and Clyde the Lakers back in 03 or 04 that had Kobe, Shaq, Gary Payton and Karl Malone the Celtics who formed the big three with KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen it's just, at least to me, that's just kind of the cycle of how things have kind of come along. And especially in today's game, you're starting to see more of these superstars or all-stars coming together because I think you'd want to be put in a the best situation possible. I don't think it's one of those situations. And I, I say this for people because I see some people that are very critical of that idea, that are very critical of the super teams and how, oh, this person didn't need all the support to win a title. Well, here's the reality. Especially in the NBA, you need guys that not only fulfill their role, but excel at their role. It doesn't have to necessarily be an all-star thing, but if guys are playing up above and beyond what they're asked to do, because there's even super teams, like, again, some of the ones I just mentioned, 
just because they have all the talent in the world on their roster, you have to play the game. Where's Herm Edwards? I need I need Herm Edwards at some point just saying what he normally says. He says, hello, you play to win the game. And that's the reality. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not playing and you don't play to your capabilities, you're not able to play how you're supposed to, and you could even say this on all levels, even at high school. There are kids that complain about, oh, I'm not getting enough playing time, coach. Well, it's because your production isn't on the level of some other kid. That's why I'm having him play more. Plus, he works harder. You have to understand, just because there's name value on certain rosters, because there's certain talent to a certain name on a roster, the fact of the matter is you have to be able to do your part. Before we get into all those discussions, again, please feel free to hit that comment box. Please feel free to voice your opinion in the comment section down below. I'm, I'm open to discussion. Please feel free. Tell me your opinion. Ask questions. Whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you can have all the talent in the world, but if your talent doesn't produce, that's just how. That's just the nature of the beast. Okay. So... Now we're getting back back on the topic. So again, we're kind of finishing up the first round. And the 4-5 matchup was Atlanta versus New York. New York was a 4-seed. Atlanta was a 5-seed. And that series, again, Trey Young had his own little show. He became what Reggie Miller was back in the 90s. He became very uh, vilified in the Madison Square Garden because of not only his performances, which were elite-level stuff, but because of his actions which is fun. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining for basketball for guys to kind of embrace being hated and just, all right, well, I'm just going to continue to do my thing. You guys can't stop me. Go ahead. And so, Atlanta won that series 4-1. to one, But, of course, they also had other pieces come into play. Lou Williams, Danilo Gallinari, Bojan Bogdanovic. Sorry, not Bojan. Bogdan. It gets confusing. Trust me. Thankfully, one of them at this current moment in time is out of the playoffs, so I don't get that confused. Because if they matched up in the finals, oh boy, that would have been a that would have been an amazing story and very confusing for people to follow along, which is totally fine. But Bogey stepped up. He was one of those big pieces that people were hoping coming into Atlanta would be that second playmaker and shot creator for Atlanta on the perimeter next to Trey, and he did his thing. So New York. And I'll, and I'll say this, because, of course, New York was like the laughingstock of the NBA for the better part of the last seven, eight years. And even outside of that like brief boom period that they had with Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo Anthony, Jeremy Lin, even before that, there wasn't a whole lot of success to latch onto if you're in New York after having that success in the 90s with Patrick Ewing, John Stark, and even a little later on with Allen Houston, Larry Johnson, Charles Oakley, all of those guys. New York has now become a place that stars want to go to, which was always the big thing for the last 10 to 15 years. It's New York. It's the big market. It's the big apple. But yet the team didn't have the success to back that up and to really affirm that decision for a superstar to go there. Thus, they ended up going somewhere else. Now, because of the success that New York had this season, you could possibly see certain superstars, I don't know who, again, we have to kind of double-check free agency classes of this upcoming 
offseason and the following offseason. But I could see New York becoming a player now, a legitimate player in the offseason to acquire a superstar, and then hopefully for them, that will lead into a success going beyond the first round, beyond the conference semis, and then hopefully we'll see. But New York has found that success that they've been desperately clamoring for for the last almost decade since that period with Carmelo and Amari. So all that to say, at the end of the day, Atlanta won 4-1. to one. Moving on, probably the biggest surprise to me of the first round was the 3-6 matchup between Milwaukee and Miami. And the reason why I say it's the biggest surprise, not because Milwaukee won the series, but it's the fact that Milwaukee, after game one, after Chris Middleton hit that game-winning jumper at the end of overtime, after Butler tied it up at the end of regulation with the layup, after game one that Milwaukee won, the following three games were not competitive to the point that Milwaukee built leads of at least 25, even 30 at some point. And the reason why I say that, because again, everyone favored Miami to be that upset as far as like the lower seed to beat the higher seed in the first round, but it was not looking that super competitive. And so Milwaukee swept the heat 4-0. They moved on to the conference semifinals. And then finally getting into the 2-7. Okay, sorry, before we go into two seven, we'll talk about Miami for a little bit. If you're Miami, health is, I think, the biggest concern for them because not only was Tyler Hero in and out of the lineup, Jimmy Butler was also in and out of the lineup, but of course their midseason acquisition of Victor Oladipo, who's going to be an interesting name not only for Miami but also in the offseason, is because he he's due for the free agency. He might be asking for big money. Will he get it? Potentially. Depends on what team is willing to take that risk. But of course, coming off of a season-ending injury a couple seasons ago, and then coming back and kind of being in and out of the lineup, whether it was with Houston and then eventually with Miami, Victor Oladipo could be a guy that kind of helps fulfill that all-star sidekick or secondary role in Miami alongside Butler outside of Bam, but is Miami willing to put that money on the table to bring back Oladipo? Because in a couple years, actually, I think after this upcoming season, Tyler Hero's rookie contract is supposed to expire. You also got Duncan Robinson. So there's other pieces that Miami has in-house. I think that they value more than Oladipo as far as long-term. So, expect Oladipo to be kind of one of those bigger names in the free agency class as far as where he ends up going. And more importantly, and at least from my concern, if he's going to come back healthy. Because when Victor Oladipo is healthy, he's one of the better two-way players in the league. He's one of the more exciting players in the league. And he'll help a team that is in need of that secondary playmaker on the perimeter. That secondary guard. That can help fulfill the role. Could be Dallas. I'm not sure yet. Again, we'll see how this offseason goes. But we're not talking about the offseason because we're more concerned about what's currently happening, and that's still the playoffs. So, now that we've covered almost all of the first rounds, we'll dive into the last one. And I think that was one of the more predictable ones of the first rounds, where it's a 2-7 matchup between 
Brooklyn, Boston. Obviously, Brooklyn, only 10 games in going into game one of the series, having their big three, Kyrie, KD, and Harden, which again, that's going to be another topic discussion a little bit later on when we go into the semifinals. And you kind of saw Durant, Harden, and Kyrie all kind of have their turns and have their go at just carrying the offense. And it was a lot for Boston. But I did kind of point out in the past episode that in order for Boston to even have a chance, Tatum had to be the best player on the floor, which was that one exception in that game. I think it was game three where Tatum went off for 50 and Boston ended up winning that game. And so I think with Boston, again, I've talked about injuries. I've talked about availability and health. Obviously, without Jalen Brown for the rest of the regular season in that entire series, had Jalen Brown been there, would the result have changed? Probably not. I still would have thought Brooklyn would have advanced. Boston may have gotten another game out of that series, potentially a seventh game. But, of course, Boston is going to be kind of a big chunk of the topic when it kind of comes to this whole coaching carousel and a lot of things that have kind of changed um, when we get into our next topic of discussion, which we'll get to at some point after we cover the rest of the semifinals uh, and then predictions for the conference finals. So, that was the first round. Now we move on into the second round. And so, in the second round, we matched up. Again, we go back to the Western Conference. Possibly the most shocking one, especially how it ended, was the one versus four between Utah and the Clippers. And the reason why I say that was the most shocking, because to kind of backtrack, let's kind of dive through. We won't go like specifically game by game, but to kind of give you a bit of a condensed synopsis and a kind of condensed summary of how the game's leading up to game six was for the Clippers and for Utah, especially for Utah, Donovan Mitchell throughout the entire postseason, he showed flashes of a guy kind of like Dwayne Wade. Okay, let me just let me just reiterate, like Dwayne Wade. I didn't say he is Dwayne Wade reincarnated. I'm just saying a similar style to Dwayne Wade in the sense that watching Donovan Mitchell, especially before the ankle injury, his ability to split a double, and explode off that double screen and then get into the lane, Dwayne Wade was one of the more, not notorious, but one of the most like notable guys as far as being able to beat a double team, split through, and then just pure athleticism, finish around the rim at will. Especially prime Dwayne Wade back in the lovely year of 2006 when Miami beat Dallas in the finals after being down 2-0. Yeah. Anyway. Now I got that out of the way. Dwayne Wade, Donovan Mitchell, similar playing style, except for the fact, obviously, with how the game has transcended to where it's very perimeter-oriented, Donovan Mitchell has that perimeter jumper that Dwayne Wade didn't necessarily have. But then again, you look at the different eras of the game back in the mid-2000s to where the game is now. A team in today's game, say for example, it was Memphis or Indiana who took the least amount of attempts, would have led the league in most attempts. Based on that, those statistics alone would have led the league back then 
alongside Phoenix back in 06 for the most threes made and attempted. Different style of games. So we can't really necessarily compare how a player would have played back then or how a player would have played now. Obviously, besides the fact that because of how great players are or were, their ability to adapt, you would have probably seen a little bit different. Like, for example, Jordan in today's game. Would he have taken more perimeter jumpers? Probably. He may be more like a Kawhi Leonard, where he's not solely reliant on the three-point shooting, but he'll still be able to dominate at the mid-post or dominate in that mid-range. Again, opinion, not fact. We'll see. But back to the series. Watching Utah probably frustrated me the most in the games that they lost, or especially during stretches where they were struggling to score offensively. There was one game where they missed 21 straight game or 21 straight shots. I think it was game one or it was game two where they missed 21 straight shots in the first quarter, yet they came back and won. And I think the part that frustrated me the most, which kind of became a common trend that I saw with Utah throughout the series, especially the first five games, was the fact that Utah... I'm just going to use this microphone as an example. For the audio listeners at home, just to give you an illustration, I'm just holding this microphone and I'm not moving it. By the way, if you're an audio listener, please feel free to follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Red Circle, any and other podcasts that this podcast is streaming on. And the reason why I'm doing this, and just to give you guys a visual, the reason why I'm really making this an example is because Utah at times, they were notorious, especially in the regular season, for being a team that moved the ball particularly well. All guys. Ingles, Mitchell, Conley, Bogdanovich, really the only guy that you could say wasn't really much of a facilitator or guy that really moved the ball is Jordan Clarkson because Jordan Clarkson's role was put the ball in the hoop. Just go get yours. Get your buckets. That was Clarkson's role. But Utah, what frustrated me the most about watching Utah in that series was the fact that when there were stretches where they couldn't get a basket, it's because there was a lack of ball movement. So this is also a message to kids, coaches, anybody at home. Ball movement is critical. Why? There's five people on the floor, correct? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. If one person has the ball and four people aren't doing anything, that one person who has the basketball is much easier to guard. However, if there's body movement and there's ball movement, the defense has to work. The reason why I say that is because Utah, throughout the regular season, had teams working on the defensive end by moving the ball and getting open looks. Especially a team like Utah that relied heavily on the three-pointer. Again, they were a top three shooting team in the league alongside the Clippers, who, again, historically shot the highest percentage from the three in NBA history. But again, if there's no movement, your quality of looks are going to dwindle because it's a lot easier to guard somebody on the perimeter when you're just standing there. Hence, hence, why I was upset about the whole Dallas series. Whether or not that was schematically the Clippers, because there's that common theme with both teams, with Utah and Dallas, 
If that's the Clippers, sure, kudos to them. And there has to be some credit to them as well. But if you're Utah and you go away from what you've been doing so well, it's not that's not going to help you. And of course, with the injury to Donovan Mitchell, even though Donovan Mitchell was still super effective, if you're not moving, player movement and ball movement hindered Utah in their series, which was complete opposite of how their regular season was, where there was a lot of ball movement. They relied heavily on the threes, but you could tell the quality of their looks were not the same. So with that being said, that gave the Clippers their best chance. Of course, with Donovan Mitchell being hurt, um, despite the fact that Kawhi did go down in game four with his uh, knee injury, uh, thankfully, it's only an ACL injury. It's not an ACL tear, so there's a chance he comes back at some point in the Western Conference Finals. But again, with Utah, whether it's Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, um, Mike Conley, a lot of those guys are able to help facilitate moving that ball around, even Donovan Mitchell as well. I Really, the only guy you can probably exclude on the perimeter is Jordan Clarkson because Jordan Clarkson's more so the guy that is the shot maker, shot taker for Utah. Um, so with that being said, looking at how that series went down, you can tell that Utah, the lack of ball movement really hurt them on the offensive end. Um, as I mentioned before, game one, they missed 21 straight shots in the first quarter, not the quality of looks that you would expect, but despite the fact that that happened, they still won game one. However, the Clippers were able to take control game six, Utah up 25. That was my thought of, oh, it's Game 7, until Terrence Mann timely plays from other guys like Paul George, Batum, Morris. Herp turned that tie from a 25-point deficit to a Clippers win. Now, next thing you know, the Clippers beat Utah in 6. They move on to the Conference Finals where they'll be playing the Phoenix Suns, which is happening at the time of recording today. So, as you're probably listening to this, this game's probably happening or it's ending. Uh, however, with how... Sorry, with the Phoenix-Denver series, obviously the big play everyone's going to talk about is in Game 4, late in the third quarter, Jokic gets ejected on a hard foul to Cameron Payne. And, of course, everyone's going to follow the letter of the law. That's how the refs are going to be officiating. They have to follow the letter of the law with uh, the NBA and their rules. I don't think it should have been a flagrant two. I would have been 100% okay with it being a flagrant one. I've seen... Far heinous plays be called flagrant one, but at the same time, I've also seen less harmful plays be considered a flagrant two when guys get ejected. So I don't think it's necessarily the refs being soft. Everyone always wants to rip and criticize the refs. I get it. I just think there's inconsistency, and because they have to follow the rules to a T, it takes out the judgment and you know, common sense I to me from what I witness. And so because of that, would have the ejection not happened, would Denver have still been in the series, especially that game? I don't think so because of the, the balance of Phoenix, especially along the perimeter. I just think along the perimeter, Phoenix was a much better team than Denver. The only advantage that Denver had was Jokic in the paint against Aiton, but even Aiton was holding his ground. Um, one of the funnier stats about it, too, was that 
during the going into Game Four for Phoenix, all five starters. So that's Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, all averaged 15 points plus. All five guys. That's a healthy balance, especially from your starters. So think about over 80 some odd points from your starting five. What's some bench production from, you know, like I mentioned, Cameron Payne, Dario Saric. Phoenix just from that standpoint, I think outmatched Denver because again, Denver's starting five from last year compared to this year, just completely different construct. So last year's team had Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, uh, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. That team, had they stayed, obviously with Murray not being injured, that would have made this a lot more competitive. But because of how this this roster was built for Denver with Compazzo, Rivers. Michael Porter, who's asked to be the second best player when last year he was the guy coming off the bench for Denver. Uh, Millsap, who's not even starting for that team. Instead, that fell to the hands <coughs> excuse me, of uh, Jermichael Green eventually got to start, uh, but it was Aaron Gordon as well. Um, I really think that for Denver you can kind of see where their deficiency were on the offensive end. And so, um, wasn't shocked that Phoenix won the series. I think the fact that they swept was probably more shocking to me. So, uh, with that being said, there's your Western Conference Finals. Phoenix versus the Clippers. If I were to give you my prediction right now, despite the fact that Chris Paul's out for the first two games, at least, of the series because of the health and safety protocols, because Kawhi Leonard's also out for the first two games with his ACL injury. I'm still going to take Phoenix. It'll be a very competitive series for sure. It could go six, it could go seven, but I'm going to say that Phoenix ends up going to the finals. And I know my buddy Ryan's over there, just like I told you so. And he was right. I think in the manner which it all kind of played out with injuries and all of that stuff going on, that's how it ended up being. So that being said, now that the Western Conference is kind of covered, we're going to go in the Eastern Conference, and we're trying to go through this really brief. I know I'm not trying to make this episode super, super long, but with the Eastern Conference, the one series that's still going on, again, Game 7 today, it's happening later on, is Philadelphia versus Atlanta. That's your 1-5 matchup. I think for Atlanta, in order for them to win Game 7, which has been their success for the first for the three games that they won so far in the series, outside of Trey Young being able to dictate the offensive flow off those pick and rolls and get his. And this is the critical component of why I'm going to predict that Atlanta wins game seven is because of their four guys, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, Lou Williams, Kevin Herter. Uh, sorry, I said Kevin Herter twice. Sorry, Bogey, Bogdan Bogdanovich. If those four guys are able to knock down jumpers and be able to get their own alongside Trey or when Trey's off the floor, especially Lou Williams, who's kind of turned his season around being the Lou Williams that we've all known from the Clippers. If those four guys combine for at least 60, Atlanta wins. So again, Gallinari, Herter, Bogdanovich, Lou Williams. Those four guys over 60, Atlanta wins, along with Trey having a big game. Pretty much the typical thing that we've seen from the playoffs from him. For Philadelphia... For their chance to win the series, again, Embiid's going to be hindered by his by his knee. 
So that onus has got to fall on Tobias Harris because we a lot of people talked about Ben Simmons and his deficiencies from the free throw line, his deficiency from the perimeter. He's not a perimeter shooter. We get that part. That's already been kind of tried and true. But Tobias Harris has to be that that guy. Has to be their dude to close out the game. As I mentioned before, should have made an all-star. Yeah, but it's hard to pick over who. But Tobias Harris has got to be their go-to guy closing out the series, closing out the fourth quarter in crunch time. Uh, obviously, they've they've surrounded themselves with guys like Seth Curry, who stepped up in game six, Cork uh, Mons, Danny Green. But it's really going to be Harris that really propels Philadelphia if they were to win today. But I'm going to say Atlanta. And for them, the winner of that will play the winner of probably my favorite series so far in the playoffs. Uh, and I think everybody's go-to throughout the playoffs, if the matchups were to be expected as it was this one, was the Nets versus the Bucks. And, of course, the Nets, their biggest concerns came to fruition with injuries to a couple of their big three. Obviously, Harden was out uh, for a good portion of the first few games of the series and then Kyrie goes down game four but for Milwaukee going into game three after getting blown out in game two I was concerned about whether or not there was going to be some fight and how they're going to be able to adjust um, defensively to stopping Durant and Kyrie and of course everyone was like oh it's got to be Giannis Giannis has got to guard KD but I think the reason why you bring in a guy like PJ Tucker is he's going to be the guy primarily guarding KD so then Giannis doesn't have to exert as much energy on the defensive end chasing around Kevin Durant. Whereas offensively, he's used more, I think, effectively, and especially in the games that they won in the post and not having to try to create his own from the center circle. So, uh, as I've mentioned, not super competitive the first two games, but then going into games three through six and then eventually the best game of the playoffs, in my opinion, game seven, uh, you started to see, of course, a legendary performance from Kevin Durant, Game 5. Uh, and then big games from Middleton and Giannis, Game 6. Game 7, you knew it was going to be kind of a slugout. And the thing I appreciated the most about uh, Coach Butenholzer and Nash was the fact that both of them just limited their rotation and said, okay, I'm going out guns blazing with my best players. So there was very limited minutes coming from the bench, and it was mainly relied on their starters. Okay, Kevin Durant, the last three games played all 48 minutes, and then eventually Game 7 played all 53 minutes. Harden played close to 50-plus minutes. Giannis, the same thing for Milwaukee. But again, if Kevin Durant only had, let's say, what, two, maybe a size, like a half size smaller, we might be looking at a game-winning three instead of a game-tying two to force overtime. Unfortunately, that was the case where it's game-tying two, they go into overtime, uh, both teams are just dragging themselves across the finish line. Uh, but again, Milwaukee advances. And for Brooklyn, health has got to be the number one thing, especially for their big three. They only played nine games together in the regular season. They need to make sure that they keep those guys relatively healthy where they're playing more games in the regular season. And then we can definitely say for sure Brooklyn is the favorite to come out of uh, come out of the East. And of course, people are going to say, oh, Durant didn't carry him. Uh, he did everything that he absolutely could. And I know people give the criticism to Kevin Durant. They give criticism to LeBron about, 
oh, they need a super team to win. Well, let's face it. There's been, I think I mentioned this before, so many teams in the past that have assembled a group of all-star talent that haven't been successful. At the end of the day, again, there's got to be guys. Obviously, your best players have to be the best player, but other guys have to step up and make plays. They're professional basketball players. They're NBA players, best players in the world. You can't just expect the one guy. This isn't rec league. This isn't you know lower level AAU where one guy can absolutely dictate every single thing on the floor, and then the other guys don't have to do anything to be successful. Yes, like I mentioned before, people want to say Jordan carried a team without you know a superstar. Two words for you, people. Two words. Scotty Pippen. I digress. That being said. Kevin Durant did all he could for Brooklyn. Fortunately, they came up short. That's just the life of basketball. You win some, you lose some. He's still a great player. Appreciate it. Now, like I mentioned before in the Easter Conference, my prediction, I'm still going to say the Bucks, Regardless if they play Philadelphia or they play Atlanta, Bucks will advance. It'll be Phoenix versus Milwaukee. My prediction in the NBA Finals. So, I'll end with this. Is the coaching carousel of the NBA six teams at this current moment in time have been affected by the the movement so again we've got in the Western Conference you got Portland Dallas New Orleans in the east you got Indiana Orlando and Boston so of course Portland Terry Stotts nine years all nine years they make the playoffs five of them first round exits their roster and I think Portland for that matter there hasn't been a whole lot of change in like change in the dynamic as far as their their makeup of their roster since Stotts was there. That's not to the discredit of him. I just think because Portland, you had Dame, CJ, Nurkic was there for the latter four or five years for Portland, but there hasn't been a big seismic change to help him take that next step. Possibly could happen what direction they end up going in the offseason, where Dame goes. We'll see. Time will tell. Um, as far as the Pelicans, as I mentioned, uh, for the Pelicans, after one season, Stan Van Gundy's out. Uh, that was an interesting fit going into the season for me uh, because of the styles and how the team was constructed. And I've mentioned uh, to someone before, uh, if I were to take Jaw or Zion Williamson, Jaw Morant or Zion Williamson, I take Jaw Morant because of his ability on the floor to dictate the game while being the primary ball handler and his ability to help spread the floor. He's a good defender. Also, his one deficiency, I would say, is to be a consistent jump shooter. Um, he's able to knock it down, but there are times where you can see he's very hesitant to shoot the ball because he loves getting into the paint. He's loving to attack the hoop. Where I think for Zion, health, I think also on the defensive end, you're not sure where Zion's going to be effectively a defender. Is he going to be effective being an undersized four guarding bigs, guarding on the perimeter? Um, Obviously him as well on the perimeter because of how the Pelicans have been constructed with Zion alongside Steven Adams. You have two guys that are not going to spread the floor. Zion needs the floor spread. So... Maybe the Pelicans also make a move to accommodate that personnel alongside him 
and Brandon Ingram. But, again, after one season for Stan Van Gundy, he's out. And then for Dallas, after 13 years, this one probably, I'm not sure exactly how to feel. I kind of saw the end of the road coming. But with uh, the Mavericks, Rick Carlisle, after 13 years, at the time before he stepped down, tied for the second longest uh, tenure as a head coach with Eric Spolscher, only trailing Greg Popovich. There was tension between him and Luka. Um, so, of course, my big concern um, is whoever the next coach is, whether it's the assistant coach, Jamal Mosley, which I'm hoping it is, how he's able to make Luka and KP play alongside one another and not just have Luka dominate the ball and dominate the ball and fatigue Luka going in the second half of games, especially in playoff series like this one against the Clippers. Uh, For Boston, this is probably the big one because not only was there a change, speaking of changes amongst the head coaches as well, going back to Dallas, Donnie Nelson uh, was let go from his duties as president of basketball operations. Uh, Potentially, Michael Finley will step in, front runner. I'm hoping for that. Um, But Boston, the big one, of course. Danny Ainge, president of basketball operations, stepped down from his role. The same day, Brad Stevens steps away as head coach and then takes over the duties that Danny Ainge once had. So, of course, they have their head coaching um, search as well. And they're one of those teams, along with, I'd say, Dallas and Portland uh, and Indiana as well, well, there's a playoff-talented team there for a coach to take over. And so it's going to be very interesting as far as who Boston takes. As I mentioned, there's two names I just mentioned, Terry Stotts, Rick Carlisle. Both those guys probably be names that you could see filling one of those roles um, at Boston or even at Dallas or some of these other places. Uh, like I mentioned, with uh, the Pacers, after one year, Nate Birkin is out. There was reports where... He lost the roster, didn't know how to necessarily manage um, an NBA team, per se. And it, it's it's a difficult call to make. So with that being said, um, one of the teams I mentioned that has a playoff-ready-made talent with Sabonis, Brogdon, Karis LeVert, hopefully is back healthy for an entire year. Uh, TJ Warren hopefully comes back as well. Miles Turner. There's a, there's a good constructed playoff team that whoever the coach that takes over Indiana can help bring them back to the land of prominence for Indiana. Uh, And then the last team, Orlando with Steve Clifford. I think it's one of those situations where Orlando again is just completely rebuilding. As I probably mentioned in previous episodes, Orlando traded away their all-star Nikola Vucevic traded away Aaron Gordon, another, you know, a promising star. So they have a lot of young pieces there. Markel Fultz hopefully comes back. Cole Anthony, Wendell Carter Jr., Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac. They have pieces there um, for you know their next youth movement, but depending on which coach they bring in, I think it's going to be kind of similar to how Brett Brown was when he went into Philadelphia where it's a, a process. It's not going to be like we're coming in and we're immediately contending for a top seed in the playoffs. It's going to be we're going to develop our young players, hopefully bring in a veteran to help nurture and guide these players to fulfill their potential. So those are your six names. Um, speaking of coaches, uh, one of the guys that I respect the most, and this is the last thing I'm going to mention, uh, this is a plug for him. Um, if you guys know who Chris Collins is, he coaches at Whitney, he coaches for YBA. He also uh, 
amazing mind of basketball. He runs his podcast called About That Life Podcast. And you know why I'm pointing there, because if you look in the description, there's a link to his podcast, so please check him out there. Uh, I'm really excited because hopefully uh, soon we'll be collaborating. We'll be talking a lot about basketball. He covers a lot about AAU. So that's a guy that you should be following. Uh, He'll give you all the ins and outs of AAU as a coach, as players. Um, A great teacher great teacher of the game so please check him out there about that life podcast down there uh again as i mentioned we've got a lot of things to come up with with the finals uh we got some other projects as i mentioned we'll get some discussions but again thank you guys for those of you that are tuning in on youtube if you guys are watching and you are not subscribed please 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 do so you're just going to have to click that subscribe button. Also, there's that thumbs up. Click that as well. Hit that notification bell so you get filled in on some other projects, some new episodes that are coming up soon. Uh, if you're listening on audio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, any other podcast that you can find this on, please feel free. Download it. Listen to all the other episodes that previously happened there. But again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers and the dads that are around. You guys are a major influence, and I hope you guys know that. And just remember, success doesn't come and find you. You go out and find the success. If you want to be the best person that you possibly can be, you go out and find it for yourself. All right? So again, I'm Joey Jergo. Episode 8, wrapping up right here of the Nothing But Backboard podcast. I will see you guys in the next video. Peace.